For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, The Feast of Shavuot, The Marriage of Yeshua to the House of Jacob. This is part two of the series. Messiah entered into marriage with the literal house of Jacob at Mount Sinai. They were unfaithful, became an adulterous wife, and according to the letter of the Torah, by breaking the covenant, by being adulterous, they deserved death. But Messiah is going to show his love for his adulterous wife that rather than sentencing her to death, which he has a legal right to do, he's going to extend mercy to her her and he's going to die to forgive her of her sins and to offer her redemption and to be his bride once again. Messiah then is married to the nation of Israel. In the book In the Garden of Torah by Rebbe Schneerson on page 163 and 164, he explains that at Mount Sinai that there's a relationship of marriage between the God of Israel and his people. Rather than using the term the house of Jacob, Rebbe Schneerson uses the term Jewish people, but we need to really understand it as the house of Jacob. He writes, one of the analogies used to describe the relationship between God and he says the Jewish people, but we need to understand the house of Jacob, is the love between a man and a woman. The love between, we understand, the house of Jacob and the God of Israel is a complex dynamic union. The Holy One, blessed be he, and Israel are one. How are they one? Because they are married unto each other. Indeed, the prophet, and this is from Isaiah, uses the simile, your maker is your mate. We need to understand that it was at Mount Sinai that a wedding took place and Messiah entered into betrothal with the house of Jacob. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2, it is written, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your espousal. The word espousal was the Strong's number 3623, and it's a Hebrew word, kalula. It means betrothal or espousal. There are two main stages to the biblical 
biblical marriage. The first is betrothal. Betrothal is when you are legally married. Biblically, you're married. In the eyes of the God of Israel, you're married. But you do not physically dwell with your mate. And this is what happened at Mount Sinai. There was a betrothal made between the Messiah and the house of Jacob, but he wasn't physically dwelling with his people. When is he got to physically dwell with the house of Jacob? It's got to be during the Messianic era when he rules and reigns from Jerusalem. That's when he's got to physically dwell with his bride. In order for there to be a marriage, there has to be a marriage proposal. This is the proposal that the Messiah made with the house of Jacob. In Exodus chapter 19 verse 3, he says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus ye shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Exodus 19 verse 5. Now therefore, here's the proposal. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, that is to follow Torah, if you will follow Torah, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. That's the proposal. Was the proposal accepted? It was in Exodus chapter 19 verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. When she said, I do, that means that a marriage had taken place. When you have a biblical marriage, you are going to have terms and conditions of that marriage, which is called a ketubah. The outline of the terms and the conditions of the marriage is specified, among other places, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, which says, if you will be faithful to the marriage, all these blessings will come upon you. But if you're unfaithful, all these curses will come upon you. In this marriage, Moses is seen as being one of the witnesses of the marriage, and he's the one that escorts the bride, the house of Jacob, the nation of Israel, to Mount Sinai, which is seen as being a hoopah, which is the wedding canopy where a biblical wedding will take place. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 17, it says, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. The word nether is the Strong's number 8482. It's the Hebrew word takki. This word means the lower part. The imagery is that the people were standing at the lower part of the mountain, and Mount Sinai is seen as being a hoopah, so they were standing underneath the hoopah, and they then from there took their wedding vows. If you're going to have a biblical marriage, the God of Israel requires that his bride be sanctified. He's only got to marry a sanctified, holy bride. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 10, the God of Israel says unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. They were to be sanctified. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Messiah prays this prayer sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. Why is Messiah praying that his people be sanctified? Because the one that gets sanctified is his bride and he's praying for his bride to be sanctified because when she's sanctified, then he will be able to live and dwell with her. But she's sanctified through the truth. What is the truth? In Psalm 119 verse 142, it says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your Torah is the truth. So Messiah was praying 
saying in John 17, 17, that his people be sanctified through the truth, which is the Torah. We can also see this in Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 6, which says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. The Torah of truth was in his mouth. In Exodus 19, verse 10, it says, Sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. What is the washing of their clothes a reference to? Well, we can see this explained for us in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arraigned in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 14 and 15, in explaining the sanctification process, it says in Exodus 19, verse 15, and he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, and come not at your wine. The word come here is the Strong's number 5066. It's the Hebrew word nagash. And the Hebrew word nagash means to draw near or to approach. And the imagery here and the connotation here is in a sexual manner. Why was this commanded? The message that the God of Israel was trying to convey is that he did not want his bride coming to him in an unclean state. Therefore, how do we understand this? Because in Ezekiel chapter 18 verses 5 and 6 it says, But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right and has not eaten upon the mountains, neither has lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither has defiled his neighbor's wife, neither has come near to a menstruous woman. So this is what the God of Israel was trying to prevent when he made the specification in Exodus chapter 19 under the people as a condition of coming to the mountain to be betrothed. The Torah then gets received by the nation of Israel as a marriage covenant from the Messiah, and now we're seeing the fulfillment at Mount Sinai of the purpose of creation. Then ultimately once this is done in Exodus chapter 40 verse 34 it says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He's in covenant relationship with his people and the glory of the Lord is filling the tabernacle. His presence is with his people. That's what is the purpose of creation is that the Messiah would be dwelling and abiding with his people. We can see this ultimately in Revelation chapter 21 verse 23 which says about the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it and the Lamb is the light thereof. So the Messiah the glory of God that is lightened up, he is dwelling with his bride in the New Jerusalem. In order to understand a spiritual picture of the relationship between the Messiah and the nation of Israel, the house of Jacob, his betrothed wife, we have a foreshadowing of what this relationship would entail and what would happen when they entered into marriage, going back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, where it says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. This deep sleep is a spiritual representation and communication that the nation of Israel would go into exile because
says in Ezekiel in chapter 34, verses 30 and 31, the nation of Israel is called Adam. So they would go into a deep sleep, which is spiritual slumber, which is breaking the covenant, not obeying the Torah. And the consequences of that is exile in the nation. And as a result of the nation of Israel being exiled into the nation, he took one of the ribs. This has got to be a reference to the death of Messiah on the tree. And he closed up the flesh, which is the wound of the exile. And the rib, that is the death of Messiah on the tree, which the Lord God had taken from man. That's the sins of the world. From that, he made a woman who is the bride of Messiah. And she was brought to him. How was she brought unto him? By the Ruach HaKodesh, or by the Holy Spirit, who draws us unto the Messiah. In Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24, it then says, And Adam said, and we're told in the New Testament that Messiah is called the last Adam. So we can interpret this, that Messiah said as a result, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, which is the bride or the body of Messiah, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man, this man here is a reference to the Messiah, leave his father, that's his heavenly father, and his mother, that is the divine presence, and shall cleave unto his wife, that is his bride, and they shall be one flesh. So Genesis 2.24 is explaining that Messiah has got to come to the earth to die for his bride. What we just read in Genesis chapter 2 is what Paul explains and understood from Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 23 and then verses 31 and 32, it is written, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Messiah is the head of the congregation, and he's the savior of the body. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Quoting from Genesis chapter 2. And then he says, this is a great mystery. Now if I'm reading this Hebraically, what he's saying is this is a deeper level understanding of the Torah that's not readily seen and understood with the literal reading of the text. It's only understood in the deeper meaning, and I put in parentheses for you the deeper meaning. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Messiah and his congregation. Continuing on, the foreshadowing here of what happened in the garden, which is a prophecy of what is to come. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, which personified obeying the God of Israel, which is obeying Torah, following the Messiah. Also in the midst of the garden, he also placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represents disobeying Torah. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. In Genesis 2.17 it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that is, disobeying Torah, you shall not eat, or you shall not disobey Torah, because if you disobey Torah, for the day that you eat, you will surely die. What is the death? Going into exile. Exile in the nations is described as being spiritual slumber. It's described as being a death. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also under her husband with her and he did eat and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden this word presence is the Strong's number 6440 it's the Hebrew word panim and it actually means they hid themselves from the face of God or the presence of God and you can see from this there's a separation because of sin that Adam and Eve were separated from the presence
presence of God, that separation can be likened unto exile. When they were separated from the presence of God, that's when they became or noticed that they were naked. And so nakedness there is a description of being without the presence of the covering of the God of Israel. We can see this in Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 37 and 39. Behold, therefore I will gather all your lovers with whom you have taken pleasure and all them that you have loved with all them that you have hated. I will even gather them round about against you and will discover your nakedness unto them that they may see your nakedness. So when they go into exile, they're referred to as being naked because they lost their covering because they disobeyed Torah. And I will also give you into their hand and they shall throw down your eminent place and shall break down your high places. They will strip you of your clothes and shall take your fair jewels and leave you naked and bare. As a result of Adam and Eve's sin, they are exiled or divorced from the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 24 it says, So he drove out the man. This word drove out is the Strong's number 1644. It's the Hebrew word garash. And one of the meanings of garash, it means to drive out or expel. It means divorce or put away. Adam and Eve were divorced or exiled from the Garden of Eden. What are some of the consequences of sin? It results in nakedness. It results in the hiding of the face of the God of Israel. And sin results in exile, separation, or divorce. We see prophetically then how restoration has got to come. It's got to come by a circumcised heart through the Messiah. Genesis chapter 3 verse 24 says, So he drove out, that is exile or divorce, the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. The word flaming sword is the Strong's number 2719. It's the Hebrew word kerub. And we're going to see where this word Carob is used and what it's used for in Joshua chapter 5 verse 2 as it is written. At that time the Lord said to Joshua make you sharp knives. It's the same Hebrew word that's translated as a flaming sword in Genesis 3.24. And here what's being done with this carob or this sharp knife is it's being used to circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. The way to the tree of life is through this cutting instrument which can or was used for circumcision. What we're being shown here is that the way back to the tree of life, which is restoration, is repenting and returning to Torah. In Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27, that is the understanding and the context of the renewed covenant. A new heart will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and what happens when he puts his spirit within us his spirit within us has got to cause us to walk in my statute you shall keep my judgment and do them looking at Genesis chapter 3 verse 24 in Hebrew where it says a flaming sword turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life in Hebrew it says Aleph Tav Derek A Ha Hayim Aleph Tav the way to the tree of life the way to the tree of life is through Aleph Tav, who's the Messiah. He's the one that would bring restoration. Following the marriage that was made with the Messiah in the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai, the covenant 
got broken. And it got broken through the worship of the golden calf. In Exodus chapter 32 verse 19 it says, And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and he brake them beneath the mouse. So the house of Jacob committed adultery against the Messiah by worshiping other gods. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 14 it says, And you shall not go aside from any of the words which I command you this day. You shall not go aside from following Torah to the right or to the left to go after other gods and to serve them. Judges chapter 2 verse 13. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers which brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods. Of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. In Judges chapter 2 verse 13 it says they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth is the goddess of sex and fertility. We render Ashtoreth as Ishtar which it's anglicized into English as Easter. In the fertility customs that's associated with Easter, the, the Easter eggs and that type of thing, the connotation is back to Ishtar in the fertility of the land in the spring. We're told that the God of Israel is a jealous God. In Exodus chapter 34 verse 14 it says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. In Numbers chapter 5 verse 12 and verse 14 it says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, and the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled, or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him and he be jealous of his wife and she be not defiled. So did the Messiah get jealous because his people went and served other gods? Yes, he did. Therefore, according to Torah, she is to take this test to see whether she is innocent or guilty of going after other gods. This is going to begin to show for us the curses that's going to come upon an adulterous woman. In Numbers chapter 5 verse 24 it says, and he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causes the curse. And the water that causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. If she's guilty, she's going to drink bitter water. This is a curse of an adulterous woman. And looking at the sin of the golden calf, we're told in Exodus chapter 32 verses 19 and 20, And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. He took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and strawed it upon the water, and he made the children of Israel to drink of it. She's drinking of the bitter water which is a penalty for being adulterous. Looking at other elements and aspects of what would come upon an adulterous woman, we look at Exodus 32 verses 26 and 27. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. This is a result of the golden calf incident. So one of the punishments of an adulterous woman is she would be slain with 
the sword. Now in Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 38 and verse 40 we have another characteristic which says and I will judge you as a woman that breaks wedlock and shed blood or judge and I will give you blood and fury and jealousy. They also shall bring up a company against you and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with their swords. Once again we're told here that she would be slain with the sword. In Numbers chapter 5 verse 23 we are told and the priest shall write these curses in a book well that's going to conclude part two of the series on the subject the feast of shavuot the marriage of yeshua to the house of jacob shalom in yeshua the messiah amen Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.